0: It's new Comics Day, Wednesday, February 3rd, 2016, and you're listening to God and Comics, the show where, unlike the presidential candidates who are interested in a higher office, we are only interested in the daily office. On today's show, Sidekicks. What would superheroes be without over-anxious youngsters as their apprentices, ready at a moment's notice to face danger? We talk about where Sidekicks came from, What role they fill in storytelling, and why they're so much fun to place in peril. Plus, as always, we'll have our recommendation this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michikin. I am rector of Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. On the line with me today is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm
1: from Christ Episcopal Church in Cooperstown, New York.
0: And also on the line today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you?
2: I'm at Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia.
0: Wonderful to see you, gentlemen, today, and believe it or not, this is our 21st episode of God in Comics, and it is our 1-year anniversary. Uh, our first episode came out right at the the very beginning of February of 2015, so we've had a whole year of God in Comics now. How about that? What do you, what do you guys think? That's that's sort of a sort of a milestone, isn't it?
2: It is. It's gone fast.
1: Definitely. You know what? It, it's funny uh, just to show the contrast between the years. the The first podcast I remember recording, we had a snowstorm, and now it, it's like spring outside. It's, it's a very different weather
0: wise that is that is the power of God and comics. We actually produce global warming through yes. the hot air that we are putting out
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: on a regular basis. <laughs> well it's been fun i'm I'm looking forward to uh, to another year so me too Well we're going to start with our recommendation and I've got our recommendation for this week and what I would like to recommend is. The Legend of Wonder Woman, number one, which just came out uh, a couple of weeks ago from DC Comics. The Legend of Wonder Woman is a nine-part mini series. This is one of DC's digital first books. Uh, DC's been doing this for a couple of years now, where they have stories that they release first as digital comics. You can download through Comixology or through DC's own app. ...and and read them that way, and then they release them later as uh, print comics to hold in your hands. And this is actually meant to replace Sensation Comics, which just finished its 17-issue, uh, at least in print, 17-issue run where it was just telling each issue told uh, original stories about Wonder Woman by different artists and, and writers and so forth. It was Sensation was really, really good. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, um, especially because I, I have not been terribly happy with the main Wonder Woman book in the last uh, couple of years. Uh, so uh, it was really nice to see what Sensation did. So I was sad to see it go. But it's been exciting to see this new project that's taking its place, The Legend of Wonder Woman. It's written and drawn both by Renée Delise and with colors, inks, and letters by Ray Dillon, who I believe is her husband. Renée Delise is mostly known for a lot of indie stuff and doing a whole lot of graphic novel drawing of Actual novels, so like she took uh, Anne Rice's Servant of the Bones, for instance, and made an illustrated graphic novel version of it. She has uh, an indie book through, I think it's IDW, called Lady Power Punch, that she uh, writes and draws and stuff like that. She also did this thing called Womanthology, which uh, brought together a whole—it's huge— and it brought together a whole mess of female creators from around the country, I think even around the world, to do a whole bunch of original, interesting stories. But this is just her working on The Legend of Wonder Woman, and it's an origin story, it's an original piece about her, uh, but it focuses largely on her childhood— in the first issue, all you see is Diana as a child. And um, that is actually, I think, going to continue for the first couple of issues. And the world that she creates of, of Themyscira, of the island where the Amazons are, it's very heavy in the sort of mythological surroundings. There's a lot of creatures and strange phenomenons. Phenomena that are – what's the plural of phenomenon? Phenomena? Phenomena, yeah. Phenomena. Do-do-do-do-do. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Phenomena. No. We all thought that exactly yes. at the same time. <laughs> After a year of this show, we are sharing a hive mind, it appears. Um, we
1: all have the same level of maturity, it appears. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> but but at any rate, so it's this really sort of wonderful, beautiful, magical realism And Diana, her origin story in this is more similar to the original Wonder Woman story, not the new 52 version. She's like made from the clay because of the the sadness of her mother, Hippolyta and so forth. But one of the plot points in all of this is that she is a mortal child and that Themyscira has two types of people, two types of women. Those who are immortal and those who are mortal. And the children are largely mortal, but there are some who are immortal. The immortal ones are the ones who actually become warriors, and they're the ones who can defend the place and who can uh, be heroic and so forth. The mortals don't do that because they could die. (laughs) And so they end up engaged in other things. And so we see poor Diana being just bored out of her mind because she's not allowed to even learn how to defend herself. Meanwhile, her mother is trying to groom her as the princess to one day take over, but she can't take over unless she becomes immortal. So all of this is banking on the gods one day just deciding to answer yet another plea of Hippolyta and make her daughter immortal. And uh, Diana's going, well, we don't even have any idea if that's even ever going to happen. Meanwhile, she's having these strong sensations that she doesn't know where they're coming from, that some kind of danger is coming to this island, and that they are not ready for it, that she's the only one who's going to be able to to stop whatever it is. And uh, so she spends a lot of the first issue trying to convince um, one of the Amazon warriors to teach her to fight and defend herself for that reason. Um, And uh, so it looks like it's going to be a really interesting story Uh, as somebody who is a huge fan of wonder woman. I'm looking forward to this. I think it's going to, I think it's going to read in a very Epic fashion. I love the art. One of the, my, one of my favorite things about comic art is when they get really good facial expressions when you have facial expressions that change dramatically from panel to panel. I hate it when you have an artist and they've got one face and that one (laughs) face is basically everybody. (laughs) Um, This is not the case with her. Uh, I mean, obviously there are similarities, but the face of, of Diana is different from the faces of other people. And within the, the drawings of Diana, you have various things communicated uh, just through her expressions And so uh, if you're in the market for a good Wonder Woman story or just a good sort of magical realism story with a lot of elements of myth, I think this will be right up your alley. And like I said, there's only the first issue out now, so it'd be really easy to grab and catch up before issue two comes out.
2: I guess the question of whether this is now the official origin of Wonder Woman is sort of a moot point, given DC's stance that... Uh, everything can be canonical and yet not link up?
0: Sure. I I think, um, you know, it seems like they are still working, at least in the main titles, they're still working with the New 52 origin of Wonder Woman, which, um, for those who are not aware, so the historical origin and the original one that Marston created for her was that she was created out of the the clay of the ground because her mother so desperately wanted a child because there were no children on Themyscira because it was a a land of immortals and a land of only women. (laughs) Uh, But somehow the gods granted her this, this child to be born not from her own flesh but out of the ground. And that actually for many years was a plot point that would come up from time to time in Wonder Woman is am I really human? If I wasn't actually born from my mother, if I don't actually have a father, am I really a human being at all? Um, Well, that whole origin kind of got papered over when Brian Azzarello took over the book in the New 52 and created a new origin for her, where now uh, her origin is that the god Zeus um seduced her mother at some point, and so she's like half amazon half god um oh, okay. which then leads to later on in the series when when she has to kill Ares, the god of war, she then becomes the god of war, um okay. which continues in the in the plot line now, I believe, so you know i mean there there are reasons why they did that, and I understand that, but it's also a little bit. I mean, you can't imagine that they would ever do something like that with, like, Superman or Batman, right? Like, imagine if they were like, okay, from now on, Batman had a really happy childhood with really nice parents, and then he just sort of, like, answered a job application one day, and now he's a superhero, <laughs> right. you know? like <laughs> It does
1: sort of radically change the character.
0: Yeah. yeah. Like uh, like Father Kyle said, the way DC is doing it now, it's like, well, everything's possible because we have a thousand different universes. And so maybe this is like a universe where this is how it happened, and here's another universe where it happened differently. And we'll just kind of mush them all together and see what happens.
2: Benefit of that is that we talked about this last year, but I think the benefit of that is it lets you tell some good stories and not have to worry about making everything be utterly harmonious and i think this might be a case in point right this is you're saying this is a great wonder woman story it doesn't necessarily connect with the current wonder woman Mm -hmm. but um but it lets that story be told
0: yes Mm -hmm. i agree okay well let's move into our main discussion which is sidekicks Let's start with just talking about where did sidekicks come from in comics? Because, of course, they've been a part of comics for a very, very long time. Father Kyle, can you say a word about that? Where did the the whole uh, sidekick thing get started in comics?
2: As far as our modern understanding of sidekicks, I think that they actually, if I'm not mistaken, began with Robin the Boy Wonder in 1938? No, no, 1940, sorry. Issue number 38 of Detective Comics in uh, 1940, Uh, Robin was the first sidekick that came. And then afterwards, there were a a slew of sidekicks that started to pop up from um, Marvel or Timely's answer of Bucky Barnes, who was Captain America's sidekick on down into the 50s and 60s with people like Red Arrow or Speedy, as he was once called. And um, and super boy and so on and so forth the idea of sidekicks originally came about as a way to try to connect the comic reading audience um with the hero i think that the authors of comic books and the publishers of comic books in the the early 1940s recognized that some of their characters were not entirely relatable to children even though that was a large part of their market you know a child is not a man and the child doesn't understand what it's like to be Batman or to be Superman or to be Captain America. And so um, to connect the kids with it, they gave a teenage or younger sidekick who would enable the child to see themselves within the context of that story um, and to find their own place in the adventures that took place. So in a very shorthand way, that's where, where sidekicks got their start as an appeal to that Demographic of the audience, and an attempt to find a way to keep readers connected.
0: That's uh, that's all really very helpful, Father Kyle. If I could just offer one small correction, uh, and that is that Superboy did not start out as a a sidekick for Superman. Superboy, uh, although he he did f- uh, fulfill the same function that you're talking about, Superboy actually started out as a series about young Superman. And his young adventures. Um, And uh, something similar happened originally with uh, Wonder Girl, who um, became a a completely different character eventually, but was originally just the young adventures of of Wonder Woman. But I think that phenomenon was basically trying to do the same thing you're describing, which is to put the young child reader into the story somehow.
2: Yeah, Jimmy Olsen would have been a better example. Yeah. That was a mispeak Mm -hmm. on my part.
0: So uh, if that is where they originated and that was their function at the time, what is their function now?
1: I don't really think that there is, um, there's much of a role for sidekicks in, in, in contemporary comics, except for like as sort of like a retro kind of like, uh, homage to to the Golden Age or, or the Silver Age, and and I, I think that the reason for that is, is kind of clear. It's because the primary audience for comic books now they're adults, and, and so there there isn't the same kind of um, psychological need for the sidekick. And truthfully, comic books today tend to go for more edgy realism and and, you know having having a kid you know tagging along doesn't necessarily lend itself to edginess or realism when we talk about the sidekick i think we need to make a distinction between sidekicks and like a duo or a partnership because there, there is a real difference in some cases, the sidekick has been kind of upgraded to more of a partner. You know, heroes with partners, it, it, it tends to be like a male hero with a female consort, like Daredevil and the Black Widow, or Spider-Man or the Black Cat, you know, the Green Arrow and the Black Canary. You know, they're, they're, there's a difference between these duos, whether it's 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 a couple and a sidekick. A sidekick isn't like a full partner, you know, uh, a sidekick isn't an equal. A sidekick is like a junior apprentice. In, in the modern comic, there's less of the kind of junior apprentice and more of like partnership that, uh, than anything else.
2: Part of the concept of a sidekick is uh, that it's a person who introduces a measure of lightness into the story as well and you don't always find that in duos right duos sometimes they're equally dark or equally light depending on the nature of the character and the story but i think with sidekicks you tend to have a character who brings that element of lightness to them like robin comic relief to yeah. batman, <laughs> right prior to robin's arrival batman had gone so far as to take up a gun and shoot somebody in one story, <laughs> despite all his later assertions that he never would use a gun. I think you find a very similar type of thing with other characters who take on sidekicks. That there's a little edge to them, and that it adds some comic relief at times, and and a you know a lighter touch to the story. But again, I don't think you see that all the time with duos. I, I can think of one one modern example where you come close to having a sidekick nowadays. And um, that's the recent Spider-Man Deadpool uh, comic book that Marvel just released. I just read the first issue of that last night. And despite all of Spider-Man's lightness, he in some ways has become a little bit of a more serious character. And they've teamed him up with Deadpool so that Deadpool functions as a sidekick. Breaking jokes at Spider-Man's expense, and you know, doing the the zany kind of things that Deadpool does. But that might be the only holdover of that whole sidekick thing today. I think even a lot of the past sidekicks have now become duos.
0: There was just a six part mini series Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray did of Power Girl and Harley Quinn as a superhero duo, and it's similar to what you're saying. Um, Harley Quinn was the comic relief and uh, Power Girl was the was the hero. But in that case, they were really purposely satirizing the whole idea of the hero and the wisecracking sidekick. I mean, that was very obviously one of the things they were trying to skewer. So I think you're right that uh, you don't see that as much anymore and I'm I'm wondering I hadn't really thought about it until until now but I'm wondering if one of the reasons why the sidekick situation goes away besides just what we've already said that there are more adults reading the comics now and so you don't need as many stand-ins for children but also because our modern uh, notions of equality, of hierarchy, being bad, of uh, all of those kinds of things have made us less willing to hear stories in which you would have somebody who is not as fully important as another character.
1: I think you might be on to something there just coincidentally uh, I didn't I didn't end up watching this just because we were doing side kicks this week but I was I was watching um, I was watching uh, Batman the animated series um, with my son yesterday and they had a little mini documentary about the history of Robin and how they reinterpreted the character in the animated series and one of the things that they did was to make him like a little older, you know, like college students. So, so he could kind of pop in and out, but also they kind of, they kind of gave Robin more of like an attitude. He had sort of a, a punk rock kind of thing where it'd be like Batman was like the authority that, you know, Robin was going to rebel against. (laughs) Um, I could not see the kind of like fawning, adoring sidekick working In a modern context, (laughs) it's more realistic to to imagine the kind of lippy, rebellious, you know, youth, (laughs) you know, than the sort of like, you know, Boy Scout in in the green boots, you
0: know. You know, most of our heroes now, too, have become Mm anti-heroes. And so the idea of, you know, the hero that just basically receives adulation and almost a kind of worship that he deserves really right i mean that was sort of straight that was played straight right when um you know when robin is saying gosh you're right batman you know of
1: course
0: he is (laughs) of course he is he's batman whereas now even the heroes you know we want our heroes to be a little more complex and we want uh to see them be questioned and so you know with the the sidekicks that do still exist they they tend to do that kind of thing more than just the blind blind adulation now it's batman you you're going off the rails here buddy you need to (laughs) slow down and listen to somebody else you know
1: one one of my favorite kind of Modern sidekick stories and 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 this is a sidekick story because it is it's an homage to Batman and Robin is is one that I mentioned in the recommendation a couple weeks ago um, the confessor and his sidekick Alter boy Alter boy is very much in rebellion and resents the authority of his mentor, you know, and, and, and it's almost sort of a reversing of that dynamic where um you're put in the in the place of the sidekick who needs to who, who who is kind of in many ways the superior to his uh you know clueless or or somewhat morally ambiguous uh, mentor. You know, there there's that kind
2: of deconstruction of the of the sidekick superhero dynamic there. Does that sound like real acolytes in our circumstance? <laughs> 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 no, no, I think you're out. right about that. I think you're right about that. And I think that uh I think that Damian Wayne's Robin in modern Batman comics is functioning in that kind of a capacity now where he he is deems himself in a lot of ways to be the superior of Bruce Wayne and to uh point out his his foibles to him.
0: I hate Damian Wayne so much. Yeah, cannot stand that character.
2: I'm not a fan of him either. He ruined Robin for me. I loved yeah. Tim Drake. Yeah. Tim Drake was one of the best Robins ever. I agree. And, uh, of course, I loved Dick Grayson, but
0: yeah, and I loved the death of Jason Todd. So, so
2: did I, <laughs> and as I said, I voted for his death.
0: That's right. I voted. That's for right. His death. Well, of course, that's a thing too, right? I mean one of the one of the other problems with the whole sidekick thing is because of the length of time that your comic book stories are going on for, you introduce these characters back in the day who are children and who need to learn. And at some point, the audience goes, okay, well, they've been children who need to learn for 10, 20, (laughs) 30 years. At some point, are you going to let this kid grow up and actually take their place and i I mean this is very different from like if you're watching something like sesame street with your kids for instance where you have muppets that never grow up Um, well that's fine because the next generation of kids doesn't care about what happened 10 years ago they're moving you know they're moving in a totally new thing Uh, but with comic books the same people who read them 20 years ago may be reading them today uh, and so they want that satisfaction of at some point you've promised to have these kids grow up and be heroes. When is that going to happen? And I think that starts to get fulfilled back in the um, I guess it was must have been the early '80s. Was it the early '80s when Teen Titans first happens?
2: Yeah, when when Marv Wolfman's Teen Titans. You had mm-hmm. the Teen Titans in the in the '60s, the late '60s. And uh, Dick Grayson, around the late 60s, early 70s, starts to go to college, so there begins mm-hmm. to get to be that transition time.
0: Yeah. Um, and then so you start to see them become heroes, but then you've got the problem of, well, now what do we do? And so in the case of Batman and Robin, it's been a series of successive Robins. One gets mm-hmm. one gets old enough to leave the nest, and now we get another one. For some reason, Batman never gets any older, but Robins just continuously age out. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. In other cases, it's really been um, because Batman and Robin are so paradigmatic as a pair that that's had to continue in some form. But in other cases, uh, these these characters have really just turned into heroes on their own, you know, so somebody like Speedy, who was um, Green Arrow's sidekick, and then he became Red Arrow and now he's Arsenal and. You could, you could easily read his stories now and not have any idea that he was ever a sidekick.
2: It is interesting to note that um, Marvel's use of sidekicks has been a lot less than DC's, which shows that time of transition starting to happen, I think, when Marvel began to rise as a, as a prominent force in comic books. I think you can begin to see the death of the sidekick taking place then of course dc had built so much of that into their continuity that they had to learn to deal with it and find a way forward with it which is all of what you just talked about but but it's interesting to note that
1: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah i think
1: spider-man was really one of the death of the sidekick because Mm -hmm. you know here you had a character where it's like no he's a teenager no he's not the sidekick no he's not the boy version of the character he's Mm spider-man and and you're the hero i I think this shift kind of took place there the golden age period of comic books is when you saw the most sidekicks and it seemed like everybody had a sidekick yeah, and and many of them didn't really have any kind of staying
0: power. Well, there's um, there's always the ultimate example, I think, um, which is Captain Marvel, otherwise known as Shazam, who is his, essentially his own sidekick. Um, he is, you know, yeah. yeah. They they wanted to to really one up. Of course, this is long before you know he's introduced long before uh, Fawcett Comics gets gets brought into dc and so at the time shazam uh, is supposed to be a a counter to superman but how do you how do you put a boy into the story there well we put the boy into the story by making the boy say a magic word that turns him into the man and so now we've got the boy right there inside of the man who's doing the fighting um it's but then, brilliant but then really.
1: the man that he became also had a sidekick <laughs>
0: What do you um, mean, like the rest of the Marvel family?
1: The Marvel family. Oh, and yeah. And he had a female consort, too. He had both. <laughs> Who was his yeah, female
0: consort?
2: Jr., right? Yeah.
0: Who was his female consort?
2: Mary Marvel. Mary Marvel.
0: Oh. Okay. I thought Mary Marvel was his sister. Was that not right? Well, Did I mess that up?
2: In the scheme of things, I think she was his sister, but she was. Yeah. Yeah, maybe consorts, not the right word, but it's sort of the female uh, the, the female partner.
1: I was thinking of Bale and Asher. Sorry. Uh,
0: <laughs> Bale and No, but Astra.
1: his, you know, his female counterpart or partner.
0: Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, and that's that's sort of interesting, too, because so he gets the, his powers and he says the magic word and he goes from being a boy into the to the man. She gets her powers and she is still a girl, like still a little yeah. girl, but she yeah. gets a uniform and she gets to kind of fly around next to him and stuff. It's a sort of a fascinating. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. That's right. the way that works.
0: <laughs> and then there's his like old fat uncle who becomes a <laughs> who becomes a hero, too. Um,
1: but there was there was the talking tiger, right?
0: Right? right yeah. <laughs> there's a whole cast. Straight of out of the Jungle Book, almost. Right? Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a really strange story if you stop and think about it. <laughs> Let me ask you about this uh, because we've talked on the program before about the the ways in which various superheroes are essentially Christ figures, and there's a sense in which all heroes are kind of stand-ins for Christ. What does that mean for sidekicks? If if Christ is, if, if the hero is the stand-in for Christ, does that make the sidekick a stand-in for us? Uh, what What is the sidekick, uh, what what would be the equivalent metaphor there?
1: I mean, I, I think it's the disciple. It's interesting, you know, uh, you, you we read the Gospels and we hear about the miracles that that christ performed and, and and you know our hearts are stirred to worship but then we read the acts of the apostles i, I just finished a, a a bible study verse by verse bible study of the of, of the uh, acts of the apostles and and there it, it's sort of a different experience because there um you're reading about the apostles and, and you hear what jesus said you know um the works that I've done greater works. will you do, and, and you see the apostles sort of take up the mantle and the apostles, the disciples, you know, like the sidekick are, are, are we, when we could kind of put ourselves in their position, we wouldn't presume to picture ourselves as, as Christ except, you know, you know, I want to at least, um, but we can imagine ourselves, um, as one of his disciples, we, 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 could, we could see our, our own sort of misguided zeal and, and failings in, in someone like St. Peter. The disciples in the gospel stories sort of function in, in, in the way that the sidekicks in, in these uh, stories function. It's a way for us to be part of the action, to
2: see ourselves as part
1: of the story.
2: Being the, uh, the resident Martin Luther nerd in addition to a comic book nerd, one of Luther's favorite ways of talking about living out your daily vocation, living out your calling that God has called each one of us to in daily life, in essence, you know, being a disciple of Christ, is to be a little Christ. And I think that's that's right on. I'm, I think Luther's right on about that. And I think that's right on in terms of what the sidekick is. You know, Robin in the early days is a little Batman in the capacity that he goes out and does things apart from Batman or with Batman's blessing, we could say. And I think in the same way, we act as little Christ in the, in the sending out that we have in our day-to-day lives, of course, with the, our Lord's blessing and and His guidance as well.
0: And that's the yeah. word Christian means, little Christ. Right, yeah. absolutely. In a sense, could we say that this is also reminiscent of the idea of um, discipleship and movement towards holiness? But even if we wanted to, even if we want to sort of expand that out and talk about it in terms of a concept that might be a little bit easier for, for people to, to, to dig into if they're not necessarily Christians, um, deification, deification. Well, no, I mean, I was thinking, I mean, yeah, a little bit, but more so, um, just the thought of there being a, an innate desire in us amidst all of our other desires, many of which are not very good at all. Uh, But there being an innate good desire in us to become more like, more like the hero, more like goodness. And so uh, the sidekick can kind of give us an example of that in a sense. Like here is somebody who is right in the middle of the action, who is actively trying to become more and more like the hero. And but not just not just that the sidekick is trying to become more and more like the hero, but that the hero is also trying to mold the sidekick and develop the sidekick and make the sidekick into a real hero. That that's actually a big part of that dynamic as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you could go back and make an argument, um, a a very gospel-centered argument from Batman and Robin in that capacity, when you look at what's going on with with them early on right Dick Grayson loses his parents his world comes to an end there's a there's a death there's a death for him but in being loved which is what what Batman does right he loves him and brings him in to the family there's um, there's some good baptismal theology perhaps there of uh, <laughs> being brought into Christ um, you know he he's made a part of that family. And so he begins in that love to want to be like Batman at the same time that Batman is molding and shaping him into the kind of hero that he wants him to be. Now, of course you can even press that further and say that there are times when, you know, the old sinner rebels and we see that even happening with Robin, especially with Damian Wayne and, uh, (laughs) and Jason Todd, we could say as well. Where they rebel against that, but which, you know, is part of part of the life of the baptized as well.
0: Um, yeah, and if you think about just specifically think about Dick Grayson's Robin, you have a situation where Dick Grayson's parents are murdered, and he becomes an orphan and has to figure out what to do with that. And here comes Bruce Wayne, Batman, who has who is able to connect. With him and to fill that gap precisely because he's been where uh, Dick Grayson yeah. has been, and yep. in that sense, this is this is very reminiscent of what uh, God does with us in Christ, right? That uh-huh. He steps into our shoes, and because He steps into our shoes, He can heal our wounds in a way that wouldn't be true if that if that hadn't taken place
2: absolutely and imagine that uh bill finger and bob kane probably had no idea what they were doing when they did this
1: (laughs) well i I mean i think it's i mean to use a less kind of religiously you know loaded term than disciple the sidekick is sort of the apprentice um it's a master
0: apprentice you're fired sorry (laughs) the apprentice donald trump okay (laughs)
1: but i i mean you know I, i mean this this uh i mean it goes back to to chivalry you know um the squire to the knight part of the the heroic dynamic you know we have to spend some time in training if we want to be a master no one no one becomes a master overnight you have to be a servant before you could be a master the disciples are are apprentices uh, of Jesus um, and we are called to be apprentices of Jesus the uh, the disciples of a rabbi would you know and, and still do uh, follow the rabbi around do the things that the rabbi does go the places where the rabbi does you know seek to, to imitate them in every way and the sidekick is, is imitating their mentor a lot of times they, they dress like them. <laughs> you know, they have the same kind of powers, probably in lesser form. But they're learning how to be a hero. They're learning how to be a hero through imitating their, their mentor, through, through, through going the places that, that he goes and doing the things that he does by his side. And, you know, we're called to grow up into the, the full stature of Christ by imitating him, by following him by seeking to model our life after his life, and to learn from him. And this is how Christ trains us and, and you know, leads us from where we were to where he's calling us to be.
0: We've mentioned a lot of interesting heroes and sidekicks. Are there any that we haven't mentioned that you all are particularly, either particularly fond of or think are particularly noteworthy and or silly?
2: Well, it's funny because, you know, when I was going through the list of some of them at the very beginning, it occurred to me later on as we were talking that I forgot to mention Aqualad.
1: Yes. Uh,
2: Aqualad. Who could forget Aqualad? And where did he go? He was Tempest for a while. That was the name change he received as they all got more grown-up names.
0: He's Aqualad um, again, I believe. Is he really? Yeah. Um, Well, and, you know, we shouldn't, Aqualad makes me think that we we would be doing a disservice if we signed off of this topic without mentioning Young Justice the uh yes. cartoon Young Justice which is a really Very well cool. done cartoon thing a com- couple years ago the comic book the comic which it um, in the 90s y- yes and uh there you really I mean even more than with Teen Titans there you have the culmination of this idea of can't that you know if we're going to have these characters who are following a path to become heroes eventually we have to see them become heroes or else it's it's not fulfilling and so there you have a whole collection of those folks right miss Ma- martian kid flash um who else was in there uh, that we haven't mentioned
2: in the comic book one, I know that there was Superboy, there was Impulse, who was like Kid Impulse, Flash. Mm-hmm. There's Superboy. Did I just say that um, mm-hmm. Wonder Girl? The Red Tornado made his way in there, but that's because he needed a home, and mm-hmm. he became a little <laughs> bit of a superhero mentor to this. Yeah,
0: group. he was sort of like their their like their their robot oh, chaperone. You know, that's
1: right.
2: That's right. <laughs>
1: One one sidekick from Marvel Comics that that we never mentioned that I don't even know what became of him, um, but Toro. Now, do you know who Toro was? Uh, Toro, familiar, but I don't remember. Toro was the Human Torch's
2: sidekick. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. The Golden Age uh, Human Torch, who who was an android, um, right. You know, had a sidekick, Toro. I can't remember if Toro was also an android, but I think... I don't know if Marvel ever did anything with the character of Toro. Um, I don't think he appeared in, in, in the uh, Kirk You Seeks Marvels when they, when they told the Golden Age uh, Human Torch story. But yeah, he's... I'm trying to think of other Marvel comic um, sidekicks. There's very few. I mean, there's Bucky... Um, Rick Jones is sort of a sidekick, um, not like a superhero <laughs> sidekick, but yeah. um, but sort of like He's a, a Jimmy Olsen now
0: he type was. Figure. Correct me if I'm wrong. He was a super freak, super freak. He was super freaky. Yeah,
1: Rick Jones. Yeah, I, I I think that's Rick James.
0: Oh oh okay <laughs> oh.
1: Rick Rick Jones was sort of the the teenage buddy of like uh, the Avengers and and and. Uh, uh, Captain America and uh, the Hulk. And, right. And I think it was it was Rick Jones that Bruce Banner was pushing out of the uh, yeah. way when he got hit by that gamma
2: explosion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, was. You know, it's funny. Uh, we would be remiss then in mentioning Rick Jones to not mention Snapper Carr, who was the uh, the <laughs> parallel for the Justice League. He was the, the young teenager that worked with the Justice League in the early issues of Justice League of America. I see. Mm-hmm. I see.
0: Well, and this uh, this might be pushing the definition a little bit, but just to get another Marvel one in here. How about Kitty uh, Cat's uh friend Lockheed, the small purple dragon like creature that, that doesn't really talk, but has a sort of psychic link with her and becomes kind of like a sidekick for her.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, there's probably many of them that we are missing um and you all out there in internet land, you can remind us of some of the ones we've forgotten, you can tell us some of your favorites, maybe some of your thoughts on sidekicks. Why don't you do that over social media, friends? Social media is becoming a thing. I don't know if you're aware of this, but a lot of people these days are communicating through the series of tubes known as the internet via social media. You can catch up with us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash God and Comics, or you can tweet at us. We are on Twitter at God and Comics and tell us what you think. But for now, we're gonna move on to our final segment this time out, which as always is this or that. This or
1: that, this or that. Come on everybody, let's this or that. Huh?
0: Okay, so this or that, and Father Matt is supposed to have this or that this time, and uh, I would imagine there is about a 70 to 80% chance that he has not prepared a full <laughs> list of these. I have, so, I have
1: prepared a list uh, okay. for this or that. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it, it might be so silly that it seems like I'm making it up as I go but um, <laughs> That that being said, I let's let's get started on on uh, with with this very thought provoking question for uh, Father Jonathan, and um, that is uh, today is is Groundhog Day, and so
0: well no, um, actually yesterday is Groundhog Day when they're hearing this.
1: Oh yes, that's true. Uh, 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 um. Yeah, yesterday was Groundhog's Day, <laughs> and um, and so I, I I I have this question for you: Punxsutawney Phil or Gus, the second most famous groundhog in Pennsylvania?
0: Um, Gus um, is sort of sort of animated, right? He's kind of a, like the lotteries, yeah. uh, the yeah, lottery. That's right And I'm not, I'm not a fan of, of gambling, but more importantly, Puck's Tawny Phil being an actual groundhog <laughs> would be far more delicious, I think, than uh, Gus if you fried him up. Um, and so I'm going to go with the uh, Puck's tawny Phil.
1: When I, I I used to work at an elementary school. And one of the teachers on Groundhog Day uh, asked her second grade class, what was Groundhog Day all about? And uh, many of the kids believed that it was the day that Gus would be giving out lotto (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, So uh, those who aren't residents of Pennsylvania may may be completely confused (laughs) by Gus, but you you might want to Google him.
0: Because, uh, we'll uh, we'll put a link to something with Gus, and actually, he may
1: have, he may have surpassed punks Tony Phil. It's
0: <laughs> it's possible, but n- now that we've said this, I'm actually going to change my answer. The correct answer, I believe, is Bill Murray. Bill Murray, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um,
1: Never drive angry. <laughs> a, a classic movie, which which will no doubt be on television. Um, sometime this week
2: yesterday
1: <laughs> yesterday uh, the next uh, the next one is for father Kyle the purple man killgrave the purple man or the one-eyed one- horn flying purple people eater
2: <laughs> while the one-eyed one- horn flying purple people eater is a great song I think I have to go with the purple man killgrave.
1: Well, uh, along with being Groundhog Day, yesterday was also the the Feast of the Presentation or Candlemas or the, the, the Purification of the Virgin Mary. There's there any number go. of ways you could refer to this important feast. Um, so uh, the question on everybody's mind, I think, is uh, um, Father Jonathan, St. Simeon or St. Anna?
0: Uh, St. Simeon certainly plays a more important role in that story, but I have to say, having read through it uh, at Mass today, St. Anna is more uh, compelling because you hear her story and you go, really, wow, like she spent uh, uh, all of those years just hanging out in the temple until this moment, like that's that's really sort of fascinating to me. So I'm going to go with St. Anna.
1: I, I, well said. Um, I, I think it could definitely be argued. Um, so uh, moving on, the next question is for Father Kyle. The Beyonder from the original Secret Wars mm-hmm. or Michael Landon's character from the heartwarming 1980s
2: drama Highway to Heaven? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is
0: interesting
2: that they both have the exact same hair
1: right Um, yeah they kind of have the they have a similar mojo going
2: that's right that curly bushy mullet that they're both working on i'll give it to michael landon i actually enjoyed highway to heaven what i remember of it now my parents used to watch it all the time yeah i kind of enjoyed it I, i don't remember much about it i just remember being
1: moved to tears a number of times mm-hmm. <laughs> by its its heartwarming stories yes. um,
0: where would Touched by an Angel be if not for Highway to Heaven blazing the trail that it then followed
2: that's right that's right Exactly, uh, and I was—I in a similar vein. I was moved to tears when, in Secret Wars two, Spider-Man taught the Beyonder how to urinate in a public bathroom.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that really happened. Uh. Well, he, even not that, a sentient being moved to tears, but it really happened in the comics. Even a sentient universe needs
1: a little instruction sometimes. That's right. This question apropos for, for our topic today, uh, uh, for for Father Jonathan. Cato the sidekick of the Green Hornet or Tonto the sidekick of the Lone Ranger?
0: I'm gonna go with Cato Kalen, the sidekick of O. J. Simpson. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: a more notorious figure. Yes. Um Father Father Kyle. Yes. The, the white uh, d- d- continuing uh, on the theme
2: of duos, the white stripes or the black keys. Uh I I like the uh, white stripes a little bit better than the black keys, although I do like the black keys too. I don't want no anyone to think that. Now that uh, you've asked me that question, I've I've entered the conflict between Jack White and uh, Dan Auerbach of the uh, Black Keys because Jack White of the White Stripes accuses Dan Auerbach of having stolen, ripped off his idea of a duo, a guitar-drums duo. It's apparently a big, big deal. There's been threats and there's been uh, lawsuits. There's been, like, really ugly stuff around it.
0: I'm pretty sure that the White Stripes were not the only duo like that that exists like All i right
2: yeah.
1: i discovered both groups around the same time i don't know which one was
2: first uh the white stripes yeah. were the white stripes were first they they were out in like the late 90s although they didn't really get known until the well, early the 2000s Blackies
1: were around the same time weren't they were they i'm not sure i, I think so i think this is uh it, it, it likes it like the the controversy about who came first Batman or the black bat
2: you know? oh yes maybe <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, uh, okay um the next question is is um is for father Jonathan Frank Stallone or the fabulous bacon brothers
0: I'm gonna have to go with Frank Stallone because how could I not go with Frank Stallone? I mean, he is an amazing uh public figure who deserves far more credit I think than uh, than he receives. So, uh obviously Frank Stallone.
1: Okay, the final one is for uh is for Father Kyle, a 57 Chevy
2: or an early spring. Tough call, tough call. While I do enjoy a, a winter time I think that I'm going to give it to spring
0: oh wow but you because could you, you could need keep to
2: have spring to drive the 57 Chevy
0: well but you could keep the Chevy <laughs> until spring arrived once spring <laughs> is gone you don't have anything anymore
1: <laughs> yeah, well you know what it's just our are... Our nature to be attracted to that which is fleeting.
0: <laughs> there you
1: go. Versus w- that which is, is of more lasting value, mm. which would be the 57 Chevy. Um, <laughs> That's true. On, on on that sober and reflective note, um, as, as we, we'll, we'll end. And I'll give you something to, to, to ponder as we enter into
2: Lent very shortly. <laughs> that's our Lenten meditation yes.
0: which would you rather give up for Lent spring or a 57 Chevy that's the question we well, all must ask ourselves yeah. <laughs> that's the question we. all well I'll tell you one thing that I hope you won't give up for Lent and that is God in Comics because we're going to continue to provide you with the same high quality programs you've gotten used to up till now so uh, sorry about that I apologize. <laughs> that's going to do it for today's show. You can uh, find out about some of the rad stuff we talked about and the show extras on our show page on goddencomics.com. While you're there, you can give the show another listen. You can also subscribe to our program via iTunes. And while you are up there on iTunes... I beg you, I implore you, please leave a rating. If you have time, leave a review. We would be most uh, thankful for that. It helps other people to find the show. The theme music for God Comics, which you are hopefully banging your head to right this minute, is by Father Paul Wheatley. Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michikin.
2: I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matt Stromberg.
0: And we'll see you.